Electricast. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. On this episode of MTP, we sit down with New England Patriots beat writer for the Boston Globe, Jim McBride, on Cam Newton's release from the Patriots, Mac Jones' ascension to starting quarterback, and team expectations heading into the 2021 NFL season. This is Missing the Point, episode 85, but it's all relative. Welcome to Missing the Point. I am Michael Marcangelo, joined alongside by Broadway Joe Malkin. And in anticipation of the NFL season kicking off this week, we have a very special guest. He covers the Patriots for the Boston Globe. He's a Malden native that joined the Globe in 1988 as a co-op student from Suffolk University, my alma mater. Please welcome Jim McBride to the show. Jim, how you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me tonight. Yeah, thank you so much for, for taking the time. It's a, it's, it's a Big, big, big season, big year for the Patriots. I think that this is probably uh, the most anticipated season uh, of Bill Belichick's career, right? Since uh, since 2001. Yeah, I would think so. You know, it's uh, it's really a transformative year. You know, with the Mac Jones era starting, I think we all knew that Cam was kind of a bridge. Even if he got the job this year as a starting quarterback, it would still kind of be a, the bridge year to Mac. Uh, it just, you know, he accelerated that timetable by having such an outstanding camp, so... Uh, here we are, you know, with a brand new defense and a new quarterback. So uh, it's going to be a, a really interesting. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, Mac Jones doing such a great job in camp. And, you know, with, with Cam being the bridge quarterback, I think we, I, I mean, I I at least thought that he had one more year. I, I thought he was the best chance for the Patriots to uh, to have a successful year this year. Uh, but I'm, I'd be interested to to hear, how has the locker room reacted to Cam being cut? Like, what was the initial reaction that went on there? I think it was, you know, some guys were disappointed, but I think they were all ready to move on and they were embraced Mac because he showed so much, so much maturity, more so than a lot of rookies do, especially rookie quarterbacks in this league. It's kind of hard to establish yourself. So I think, you know, a lot of the guys really loved Cam and the energy he brought and he really was a, a great teammate. Um, you know, guys enjoyed playing with him, but I think, you know, probably in the recesses of their mind, they saw that. Cam hadn't improved too much over what he was last year. And, you know, which a guy that struggled at times with decisions, a guy that struggled to get the ball up quickly. And, you know, with Josh McDaniel's offense, you just can't have that. Jim, we pick, we have read reports and, and seen things, whether it's social media or through the beat writers that, uh, Mac was picking up the offense extremely quickly and that Cam was kind of learning from Mac along the way, which I don't necessarily see as a bad thing, but the question is, 
with the eye test that we all had during camp. Is that what we're going to get from Mac Jones? Do, do you anticipate, uh, and does kind of everyone around you anticipate that he is going to be what we saw in those three preseason games? You know, I think he's going to be better uh, because it, throughout camp and throughout, you know, most of the, the exhibition games, uh, Mac played with the second team. He played behind the second team offensive line. He played that, uh, you know, not with the projected starters in, in any of the skill positions. Um, except for that, really, that one practice against the Giants, um, you know, two weeks ago when Cam was still up because of the COVID protocols. And I think he really turned a lot of heads that day. Uh, he showed what he could do playing behind, you know, one of the top offensive lines in the game right now. And, you know, and, and with some new skill players. So um, guys that were going to make this team, you know, guys like Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne and, and Jacoby Myers, he wasn't throwing to, to Gunner and to Isaiah Zuber and some of those guys that, you know, I'm not saying they're not good players, but they weren't projected to be starters. So um, now Mac has those, that full arsenal at his disposal, and I think he's even going to be better than what he showed. I, I guess, you know, what would you say to fans, me, that is that are already concerned about the fact that Mac is banged up? He's wearing a brace, and, he's, and he, is he built for the longevity of an NFL season, especially the longest NFL uh, regular season uh, to date? Well, I think he benefits from two things. And, and I, just to address the knee brace, when we talked, we first noticed that in Philadelphia uh, at the first joint practice. And he, you know, he really downplayed it. Said he wasn't, uh, you know, this wasn't a reaction to an injury. It was more of a protection thing. That's his lead leg. Uh, we've all seen quarterbacks get fallen into by offensive linemen or defensive linemen, um, you know, or offensive linemen that are falling backwards like Tom uh, a few years back, like Carson Palmer. Uh, so it was more of a protection thing. It's the same type of brace that um, the Patriots really require their offensive linemen to wear on both legs to prevent guys from falling back and, and kind of, you know, collapsing the knee. So I don't think it was a reaction to an injury. I think it was more of a preventative measure. But two things I think that will help Mac, um, you know, in the long haul is the fact that he's got a good offensive line. And he also gets rid of the ball really quickly. Um, the the obvious comparisons to Tom were there, and I'm, I'm not going to compare a rookie to to Tom Brady at any point, but he does have similar qualities and that he processes information really quickly and he gets rid of the ball. Uh, you know, now whether he's going to be able to do that, you know, with the game on the line, the way Tom has two time in a time out through his career, that's the thing that remains to be seen. But certainly he has the physical and the mental skills to do it. Can he do it in the emotional times? That's really the big question we have. Jim, uh, that's the first time we've ever had Carson Palmer mentioned on our podcast in 13 months. I wanted to point that one out. That's a good drop. Uh, but you've mentioned it twice now, but just how good is this offensive line? Yeah, I think they're, you know, they were pretty damn good last year, and I think they're even better this year. Um, you know, th there's some guys in different spots. You know, obviously they lost Joe Tooney, who, you know, the preeminent guard on the free agent market. And, um, you know, the somebody was going to pay a bag of money for him. It wasn't going to be the Patriots. Uh, and I don't blame the Chiefs for doing it because they've got some pretty valuable assets to protect. But, you know, I think Isaiah Wynn hitting in his fourth season is a is a damn good left guy, left tackle. Trent Brown, um, you know, his one season here obviously played left tackle back then, but he's been nothing but phenomenal this whole camp. But he really loves playing it. You haven't seen any of the kind of the residual of the last two years when he was in Oakland and, and, and Las Vegas. Um even Andrews is about as smart as they come at, at calling protections and, you know, being in the right place at the right time. He's not a guy that's unbelievably overpowering, but he's very fundamentally sound. And then Michael Wendell, who's playing, who's taking Tooney's spot, really good player. And, and Shaq Mason certainly has a track record. So this is in the upper echelon 
of offensive line. It's not only in the EFC, but across the board in the NFL. Yeah, I feel like you know what you're going to get from my, uh, from um, Trent Brown, and you know what you're going to get from Shaq Mason. Isaiah Wynn had a tough first quarter against Chase Young. Now, granted, I, I feel like every left tackle in the league is going to have a, a tough game against Chase Young. But did that expose anything in Isaiah's win? Isaiah wins Arsenal as a left tackle. Yeah, you know, maybe he's a little slow in the back pedal, but I think that was just, um, as you mentioned, that was Chase Young. You know, he's kind of a different breed. So he's a guy that's going to kick a lot of people on their heels. Um, but I think when Isaiah makes the proper adjustments, um, he's pretty much in position all around. I mean, he might be a little small for a tackle height-wise, but, um, you know, again, with Mac. He's going to be a guy that gets the ball out quickly. So maybe you don't need to protect him as much as you did Cam last year, who, you know, had trouble, you know, reading through his progressions and finding the second guy or the third guy. So uh, I don't think that's going to be a problem with Mac. Now, if he ends up getting sacked a bunch of times, I'll have egg on my face. But right now, that's not how I see it. A lot. And just a follow up, you mentioned the progression. It was really, it was nice. And Mike and I uh, have, we're both in the different camps here in the preseason. He was the Cam guy. I was the Mac guy. And just watching both of them go through the progressions. And a lot of times you, you saw them go to that, that outlet or, you know, the, the dump down to the back. And a lot of people criticized both of them for that, even though that was something that was very prevalent in the Tom Brady, Josh McDaniels offense is, is that progression for Mac going to the dump off? Is that a, is that an issue or is that him reading through and finding that as his best option? I think it's the, it's the latter. It's, you know, you look at a guy like James White, probably, you know, one of the better pass catching backs in the league. And he was kind of a non-factor for a lot of times last year. Cause Cam just could never get to that level of, you know, my, my one and two is not open. I'm going to check down and go to James. By that time he was running cause he, you know, the pocket was starting to collapse and he just hadn't read the situation quickly enough. Um, I think a big year for James White because, you know, screen passes and checkdowns are a huge part of, of Josh's offense and Mac can, can clearly make those reads. Uh, I think back to that, his first possession, um, of the second half in the Washington game where he ran the two minute offense to, to near perfection. That told me a lot. I mean, that, that was a guy that was, you know, he was running with the twos at the time and, and he just stormed down the field. And it, it was funny to see them go, you know, open up with the two minute offense, but you know, and Coach Belichick explained that they really wanted to run that at the end of the first half, but they didn't get a chance. So they figured, you know, hey, it's exhibition season. We'll just run it at the start of the second half. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's a huge part of the game. And they've got a lot of good backs that can catch the ball. You know, Ramondre Stevenson came out huge way during the summer catching the ball. Didn't really do that much of that at Oklahoma. James White, as I mentioned. And, you know, I love this kid, J.J. Taylor. He, I loved him last year, and I, I like him even better this year. Um, he's so quick. He's, he's uh, you know, he made an impact last year, and he didn't even have an, uh, a real training camp or a spring program, and now he does. Um, so I think they're really going to spread the ball around. And that's why we, a lot of us thought Mac were getting this job, because this team was kind of built to be smash mouth with a good stable of running backs. Um, I think when I first saw Sony getting traded, I thought, hmm, you know, this, this, that might be a, that might be the first sign that Max, the guy didn't even make that connection. That's no point. Why was that? Like, why were those two correlated for you? Because, you know, you need all, you need depth at running back. If you're going to play smash mouth, you know, if you're going to run the ball all the time, the three yards in a cloud of dust, um, those, those, those running backs take a beat. So you need a guy that like Sony Michelle, the committed spell Damian Harris. So you need James White to come in and 
So for them to get rid of their, you know, maybe their one A tailback, um, told me that they were gonna they were gonna pass the ball off this year. It wasn't just gonna be, you know, a couple of handoffs and then, you know, trying to scramble on third dashing to to move the sticks. Spe- speaking of passing, um, you know, that offense last year was abysmal. And I guess a, a lot of it was, you know, was Cam and, and taking too long, you know, learning a new system, didn't have a full off season. I guess my question, I, I do have two questions for you, but I want to look back first. How much of, I guess, the atrocity that was the passing offense last year was based off of Cam's inability to read, or was it based off of the wide receiver's inability, inability to get separation? Yeah, it's probably 50-50 or maybe 60-40 with Cam not making the reads. And, and you know, he just after Julian got hurt in the Seattle game, um, he really didn't have a 1A receiver all year. And no tight ends. I mean, they really haven't had production from the tight end spot since Gronk caught that touchdown to set up the, the, the Super Bowl win against the Rams. I mean, that's the last time I can remember the Patriots having a, an impact catch from the tight end position. Uh, that won't be an issue this year. They've got, you know, two of the better tight ends in the league. And, and Devin Asiasi is going to be better this year. So that's pretty deep uh, role there. Um, so I just think it was, you know, Cam, was Cam not getting through the progressions, but there was a lack of weapons on the outside. For him to, you know, I mean, Demir Bird was their pretty much their best receiver last year, and he didn't even get invited back this year. So that should tell you a lot. It does. So, which leads me to my next question: Is the offense that we see this year, are, are we as fans over uh, getting overhyped just because of how bad it was last year, or do they have a real chance to be a top ten passing offense? Yeah, I don't know about top ten. Uh, I think a lot depends on on Nikhil if he can come back and and finally, you know, kind of build on the summer he was having before he got hurt. Because uh, he really was having a nice summer, um, but it, it's tough because he's a first rounder, so there's these high expectations on him. But maybe he's not built to be at number one. But if he's a if he's a number four and he's the best number four in the league, I think they'd take that at this point. You know, if you've got Aguilar, Bourne, Jacoby Myers as your top three, and then you know Nikhil comes in as your fourth receiver, that's not that's not a bad lineup. It really isn't. We've talked about what the offensive line is going to be, what we think Mac is going to be. Um, something that you broke, you broke the story about Cam Newton being released uh, by the New England Patriots. So I guess one, as someone that's a beat writer, a journalist, what, what is that like, number one, from your experience? And two, how did you find out and what was your reaction? Uh, well, I heard from a source and, you know, it, it's always a good feeling to get, you know, it, it's kind of unbelievable to, to be honest with you, because I was certainly thinking that Cam was going to get the job and that he was going to be the starting quarterback. So it was kind of a surprise and, you know, t- had to do some double checking and, uh, you know, then got to break the story. And, you know, when you, I'm not going to lie, when you, when you beat Adam Schefter and, uh, you know, Ian Rappaport and those guys to a story and they're chasing you, pretty good feeling. But that That's a great feeling. So you mentioned having to do the homework and this is, you know, do the checkups and, and make sure that what you're breaking is real because that's, that's huge news. It's not like saying, oh, you know, I, I feel like obviously this was bigger news than Sony Michelle being traded to, to Los Angeles. But what, what kind of process goes into that for you, uh, checking the sources and, and making sure everything's correct? Yeah, you just have to, you know, you have to, you have to make sure the source is a trusted source, first of all, where it's coming from. And, and if it's a, if it's a, if it's a, you know, person that's been reliable in the past and, and then the process really, you know, it used to be when I started at the globe, you'd, you'd start writing the story right away. And I have to get the, the tweet prepared with a link 
so that when you when you finally tweet it out, you know it's going to get a reaction. But you want to drive people to the global website to you know to make sure that they're going there. So it's writing this really quick story, uh, getting it up online, and then this you know there's a lot of panic because you don't know how long you're going to have the story by yourself. Uh, you know the the person that told you might be telling someone else in five minutes, and if they're quicker on the draw than you are, then then you're probably asking them to be on your podcast and not me. <laughs> no, no, you were, you were on the list already, Jim. So, you know, no, no worries about that. We know, you know, uh, but, uh, yeah, no, it, it's really interesting to, to see Twitter and watch those things happen and see how quickly they get fired off. So you have a very quick trigger finger. So we, uh, you know, we like that. That was Craig was the first one. He read it and said, okay, well, number one, Cam's gone. Number two, I'm emailing Jim. It <laughs> was a busy day. I don't know. Wow, I can't imagine, but it was uh, the the email box filled up pretty quickly that day. That's why I waited a couple of days. <laughs> Craig's like, "Yep, Jim. Jim had emails. It was uh, it was Schefter, uh, Delisandro, and Rappaport. All one, two, three. <laughs> I, I guess that that brings me to like my next question because you mentioned that you know you've been in the globe a long time. I, I how, how does breaking stories now compare to how it did you know fifteen twenty years ago? Like what role has social media played and is it making it better for you? I know it's probably making it harder, but what, what is the impact of that? Yeah, it's been huge. I mean, I think back when I first started as the co-op student at the globe in 1988, you know, we didn't know what other papers had. like, you know, after first edition, you know, like 1030 or so we would send uh, a truck over to the Herald to get first edition heralds. And they would, they would, we'd give them a bundle of globes and we'd get a bundle of heralds. And that's how you found out what they had. And then you had to react to it. Now, you know, everyone knows you're breaking news in 15 seconds. As, I mean, as soon as you're out there, there's people that, I don't know how they do it, but I'll send off a tweet on a breaking news thing like that. And, you know, in less than 20 seconds, I'll already have like 25 retweets on it. And I don't know if there's a program that automatic retweets something like maybe, maybe, but maybe, yeah. Yeah. It's been huge because uh, now you have a chance to chase the story. Uh, whereas before you were always, it was so reactionary. You might not get it in the paper the next day because you didn't find out till midnight. Now, you know, you find out 15 seconds after another reporter has it, um, you know, and you have to go about try to confirm it for yourself. So having done both, would you say that you preferred now as opposed to back in 88? Yeah, I like now. I, I, I do. You know, I, I was slow to the internet age. You know, I grew up delivering the paper, working for the paper, and, you know, it's still... The paper's still the money driver, you know, even though the internet was more readers, uh, there's less, there's less money there, um, advertising dollars, which is what pays our salaries. So, um, you know, subscriptions go a long way, but advertising dollars is still what pays, you know, most reporters salaries. So, um, the the faster you can get something up, the more people are going to drive to your site or read your paper on the next day. So, um, yeah, I like, I like a big part of the story that, that you broke about can being released uh, you know, was his vaccination status part of the reason he was gone? And Bel- it, you know, Coach Belichick has come out and he's made a statement that he's kind of walked it back a little bit. I, I guess my question is, someone who, who covers the league and the Patriots, do you think uh, a, a player's vaccination status actually plays a part in whether they'll be released or, or get signed to another team? Yeah, you'll never get, well, outside of Urban Meyer, you'll never get a coach to admit that. <laughs> certainly it's got to be in the back of your mind. I mean, you you take all this information you have, all these practices you've been at, 
um, a guy's mental makeup, like, you know, how, how a guy reacts in certain situations, all of that goes into the decision. So to say that, or to think that somebody's vaccination status doesn't play a role, I think would be naive. Um, because it, you know, obviously with all these breakthrough cases, anyone can become unav- un- un- unavailable in a heartbeat, but if you're not vaccinated, there's a greater chance that you can c- become unavailable. And if you're, you know, a game plan guy, like, you know, the Patriots are such a game plan offense. If you're planning your whole, you know, opening week against the Miami Dolphins with Cam being your quarterback, and then you wake up Saturday morning and find out he's not your quarterback because of a COVID protocol, that hurts. <laughs> you know, that, that really, we saw that last year with Kansas City and, and when, the, when the Patriots, you know, what was that, week two? Um, so, you know, I think that you, you want to minimize the risk. Now, if it's the difference between, you know, Tom Brady being unvaccinated and Brian Hoyer being vaccinated. Well, Tom Brady's going to get the benefit of the doubt. But the guys were, you know, there was such a close competition in camp. And, you know, clearly Max vaccinated because he hasn't worn the mask. You don't see him wearing the mask. And, you know, it's just, I, to me, it's a no-brainer. They're never going to admit that. And, and you know, no team should. But if there's, if you've got a 1 and a 1A, you go with the guy that's, that's vaccinated. Yeah, it, it helps that Mac clearly outplayed Cam down the stretch and in, in overall. I mean, that you know, it, you're right. It, it should be a part of it. Uh, in the Urban Meyer, they came out the next day and had a report about that and said it wasn't true. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right, pal. Yeah, it would, you're having a great time down there. He was applauded by a lot of people for being that honest. Oh, sure. I knew he was going to get in hot water for it. I mean, the, the Players Association was not going to stand for, for letting him do that. Um, but... He was probably telling the truth, but then let's fix this. Yeah, and I mean, he probably could have gotten away with that at Ohio State, Utah, or Florida, but it's not going to fly in Jacksonville. Right. Or any, anywhere in the NFL. Sure. Absolutely. And he's, he's the king of the kingdom when he was in Gainesville. Or, oh, yeah. But, you know, there's, there's other warlords over him. Take <laughs> chagrin, I'm sure. Yes. We So we talked a little bit about the offensive side of the ball. I think uh, the, the biggest question mark for me is I believe that this defense could be a top 10 NFL defense. But that, how much of that is predicated on the fact that Stefan Gilmore comes back and, and, and comes back wanting to play for the Patriots? Yeah. Um, you know, I think this defense has a chance to, to be elite, you know, with Stefan obviously better than they are now. Um, I did hear uh, Coach Belichick's comments this morning. We didn't talk to him, we talked to him yesterday. Uh, and we'll talk to him again tomorrow, but he was on the radio today and he said that him and Steph are on the same page, which, you know, I, you know, I take him at his word, you know, he's not going to, you know, upset the apple cart. You know, I think that they, they put a lot of money into this defense, uh, especially the front seven. I don't think they're not going to not pay their best defensive player when he's ready to play. Um, but there was no sense if he's still re- rehabbing that co- torn quad. There's no sense giving him a bag of money until he can prove he can play. So this six weeks buys them another six weeks to to get him into shape and and to, and to work out you know whatever kind of deal they're going to work out. Uh, maybe nothing. Maybe he ends up playing this playing seven or eight games this year for the full salary because when you're on pup, you still get your salary. So uh, it'll be interesting. But I do think that this defense, particularly the front seven, the way they've redesigned it. Um, is going to be really good. They're going to, they're going to be able to rush the passer. Um, they're going to be able to stop the run way better than they did last year, which was a, a point of contention for for really anyone that watches Patriots football to see them not be able to stop the run. 
on a consistent basis. Um, you know, they didn't like it either. And that's why they went and, and spent all that money. Is there a chance they go out and try and deal Stefan Gilmore? I suppose there's a chance, but, um, you know, I think it would have to really fill a need for them too. you know, maybe there's an injury somewhere else over these first, you know, two months and they need a guy and there's another team that matches up well with them that needs a cornerback. And, and really every team in the league is going to need a cornerback like Steph Gilmore. He's, he's, you know, really, really elite. Um, but you know, I would never say never, but I think their goal is to get him, especially, you know, the Patriots are, you know, six and two, seven and one after the first two months. They're, they're going to want Steph back to, to kind of keep that train rolling. Now, if they fall flat on their face early on, then I would see more of a chance for him to get traded. But teams aren't going to pay a lot for a guy who's only under contract for, you know, eight games. Sure. Is week four the biggest regular season game uh, in, in your time with New England? I think it's the, the biggest regular season game in my lifetime. Okay. In, in any sport, you know, maybe game, you know, maybe game four of the, the Red Sox World Series in 2004. That was a pretty big game. But um, I think this will be the most demanded ticket in the history of New England sports. Um, people want to go and see this game. People want to go see Tom. And uh, I think they'll cheer him when he comes out. But once the game starts, I think he'll, you know, he'll be treated like an opposing quarterback. As he should be. So we asked uh, Karen Garigi this question. I think we even asked Dan Shaughnessy this question. What are the odds that when he does come back, Bob Kraft in, in the Patriots organization does something to commemorate his time here in New England. Yeah, I think there'd be like a video tribute or something like that. Um, you know, because it would be, it would be glaring. You know, I've seen them do it for first for guys that are of lesser stature uh, have come back and you know they've, they've paid tribute to them. You know, they're not going to stop the game or like you know any of that kind of stuff. But you know, clearly, you know, at some point there's going to be a video message. Or, you know, just a, a package of his highlight plays or, you know, hell, even even run a couple of Super Bowl plays on the on the scoreboard. But yeah, I think they'll they'll pay tribute to him, sure. I mean, this this he's the greatest quarterback in the history of the game, probably the greatest player in the history of the game. No argument for me. Yeah, I, I know. I, there's nothing to argue with there. It's like, yep, Jim's right. Like, let's leave it there. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. I'll be at that game and and I was one of the people that was fortunate to be at Super Bowl thirty six. Um Probably the first time I saw my dad cry at the age of 13. Uh, I'm sure we all have at some point over the Patriots. Um, but having him back in week four, you know, you, you mentioned cheering him on and then treating him as a, another regular quarterback. Um, what do you think the, and, and this is just kind of a fan perspective as, as somebody who's followed this team. And uh, what do you think the, the number of Patriots fans wearing number 12 pewter jerseys is going to be? Um, well, I would think that I would think that most Patriot fans are not selling their tickets to this game unless, you know, unless they want to pay for their kids' college education. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, um, I don't, I think there'll be a lot of Tom Brady Patriot jerseys in the crowd. I really do. Um, you know, obviously, you know, enemy jerseys are always part of the the, the fabric of the game, but, um, you know, if you're a Patriots fan, you're wearing your Patriots shirt to that game. If it's Tom Brady shirt, so be it. Um, I'm, I'm not sure a lot of Patriots fans who went on and bought that pewter merchandise. And I know there was a lot of them. Uh, I don't think that's the game they're going to wear it to. We can only hope. <laughs> Joe's been really wor- wondering about that too. Cause he's, he's like, if I see too many of those jerseys, I'm just going to throw up. 
I was listening to a radio station on the way down to the, the first day of camp. And um, they had this report that there were a ton of uh, Buccaneers jerseys in the stands at camp on day one. So I walked through. I saw two. <laughs> well, if that's a bunch. That was like an intern seeing the, like, the first guy in line have a Brady Buccaneers jersey on it and called in and said, hey, they're all over the place. So <laughs> Those guys didn't take math courses in Suffolk. That's why they thought it was right. What's a, uh, so, so, Jim, what's a realistic win total for the Patriots this season? Let's say all, all is fair, everyone stays healthy. What do you think is a realistic uh, outcome of the season for the Patriots? I think 11-6. You know, they've got 17 games this year. You know, they, they got to take their lumps at some point. You know, injuries happen. So, that you know, they're going to win a game that people didn't think they were going to win. They're going to lose a game that people didn't think they were going to lose. Um, but, you know, this team won seven games last year with Cam as their quarterback. And with all these changes and all these additions, um, I don't think a four-win differential is that much to ask or, or that big of a, um, you know, a high-wire act to, to, to predict. So, you know, 11-6, and six, that's what I'm sticking with for the paper. So, you know, you guys hear it here first. <laughs> this is the breaking news by Jim McBride on um, Missing the Point. Jim, five days away from the first game of the season. So... You know, we're, we've backed it up on you now. We've gone from week four to the end of the season, now back to week one. What do you, uh, what do you think about week one, the matchup with the Dolphins, Tua Tagovailoa, the, the quarterback? You have, uh, you know, uh, Brian Flores, the head coach down there. It's a 425 game in New England in September. What are you thinking this week? You know, I literally like the Patriots. Um, I, I think, you know, Tua's still young, um, you know, and, and Bill usually, you know, devours young quarterbacks. You know, Tua did beat the Patriots last year, but that was a depleted Patriots team. Um, that was a, a Patriots team that the front seven was terrible. Um, so I think, you know, I think they're going to be much better. And I think that he'll, you know, he's going to, he's going to throw some things at Tua that he didn't see before. Uh, hopefully Brian Flores doesn't, you know, remember every single trick that built autumn. Uh, but I do think the Dolphins are going to be good, but I, I think that this week, with a full stadium at Gillette, 425, um, and the way that this defense has performed, um, not so much in the exhibition games, which was fine, but there's really no scheming. Um, you know, we've, what we've seen in practice, uh, this, they're going to really generate a pass rush that we haven't seen in a couple of years. They've got some, they've got some guys, you know, I mean, Chase Winovich is probably your fourth or fifth best linebacker on this team. That's pretty good. You know, I mean, Matthew Judon, if you haven't watched him, insane. This guy's special. He's going to be really good. Really, he's going to be a really fun guy to watch. There's going to be a lot of number nine jerseys by week two in, uh, in Patriot form. I have to ask, because I, I, I love him, and I, 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 love, I love everything about him. Am I wrong to compare him to Adelius Thomas? Uh, for his Ravens career or his Patriots career? His, for his Ravens career and then the Patriots signing it because of it. Yeah, I think that, you know, probably a little bit of different players. Adelius was, was quite an athlete too, but um, in speaking to, to, to Matt, he's really uh, motivated and hungry. He wants to prove this deal, and I never got that feeling from Adelius Thomas, even though he was a wonderful player in Baltimore, but he never really bought into the New England system. I don't know if you got, how old you guys are, but I don't know if you remember, when, he was one of the guys that was late to practice one day because he got caught in the snow. Oh, yeah. Bill sent him home, right? Yeah, and he... Instead of, you know, 
giving him me a culpa and saying, you know, geez, I got to straighten up. He took the exact opposite attitude. You know, he's like, I'm an adult. They shouldn't be treated like that. Well, adults show up on time. And that really soured his entire career in New England. Um, so I don't think Matt's that kind of guy. Um, so, you know, I know they came from the same team, but. So what made me think about it, uh, Jim, and, and I bring this up again, always, because I just want to be talked off at this ledge, right? One of the, all, his playmaking abilities in Baltimore all seemed that they came off of plays that he made that maybe weren't drawn up. And we know the Belichick system is if everyone does what they're told, it, it will happen. So I, I, I guess I was just a little concerned. You, you've talked me out of it. Karen talked me out of it, that he will be able to do what Bill tells him to do to allow the defense to thrive. Yeah, I don't think he's a freelancer. Um, I, I really don't. I think he's a system guy. You know, I think we, we had some of that problems with Chase uh, Winovich the last couple of years. He liked to freelance a little bit, um, you know, and you saw his snaps decrease. And, you know, he was injured for a good part of this camp, but he ended up playing in the Eagles game and came back that week. And I don't know if you guys saw his post-game availability with the media, but he was very emotional that day. And he made a, made a point of saying that he had bought into the system and whatever they needed, he was going to do it. He was, his voice was almost cracking. So I think he, you know, he learned, you, you don't freelance in this defense. If you, this, you know, Bill Belichick is always going to put you in a position to win. Uh, you're not going to win every game, but you're going to have a chance to, if you pay attention to the game plan that him and his staff have, you know, meted out. And, and if you don't, you're not going to play. We're really glad, Jim, that you could talk Mike off of that ledge because that is literally any time we talk about Matthew Judon, any time he comes up, Mike, it's funny, Mike loves Matt Judon. Yeah. He's not so fond of Delius Thomas, so he's like, I just don't want this guy to be this guy. And we get that too personally. So, you know, Mike's just very concerned, and uh, he, he's a concerned Patriots man. <laughs> That's how he would sign his letter to Dear Abby. Correct. Uh, Mike, reads my theory in today's globe, and that, that might ease your mind a little bit too. Will do. So, Jim, my last question, because I always like to uh, ask about kickers, because I love kickers. Uh, Quinn Nordin, is he the starting kicker? Because I haven't seen that Nick Folk has been released. Not that I, I, I like Nick Folk, but I love what the rookie out of Michigan has done in this uh, preseason. Is Quinn Nordin the guy, and does he have what it takes to, to be good enough to make those kicks in, in the back end of games? Yeah, you know, my best answer is probably we'll see. <laughs> it's it's funny though. I think Nick was a little banged up in camp. Uh, he definitely was, um, and I think that you know he wasn't able to really kind of go one hundred percent. And and Quinn, to his credit, took advantage of that, and he showed off a big leg. He had the hiccups against the Eagles games, but for the most part, in, in practices and games, he's been fine. Now you know how he's going to react to a huge stadium and NFL game. That's a different story. And the fact that they signed Nick to the practice squad makes me feel like Quinn's probably going to have a pretty short leash. Um, so, you know, it's kind of an insurance policy. You know, they could have done it the other way around. They could have kept Nick and, and tried to sign Quinn to the, the practice squad. But I think the fact that kickers are so hard to come by that if they exposed Quinn, if they had cut him, he was going to get snapped up by someone, probably right onto a 53-man roster. So, and that wasn't going to happen with Nick. So this was the most logical way to handle that situation. We've got an insurance policy and Nick, but let's give the kid a chance. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy that I've always liked new blood. I, I thought it was almost criminal when Bill did this, what you just said, where I kept the um, veteran kicker a few years ago and put young way Koo on the practice squad 
and then Youngway got picked up by Atlanta. I, I thought that, you know, I, criminal's kind of harsh, but you know, that he was a guy that's turned out to be a great kicker in Atlanta. Yeah. But he had a couple of rough spots before he ever got to New England. That's true. So, and you know, uh, young kickers are tough. We, I mean, we all remember, you know, Rowasser Ro last year. Um, that was almost a disaster from the first practice. So, and Bill doesn't really trust young kickers in clutch, clutch situations. He elected to not have Goskowski kick a field goal in the, in the 07 Super Bowl against the Giants because he thought he, he didn't want to, he did not want to ruin his kicker that early. Uh, my last question for you, and I promised, I always, I lie, but I'm promising right now. Uh, my, my last question for you, you said 11 and six for the Patriots. Is that enough to make the playoffs? And if it isn't, is there pressure on Belichick to be replaced? Uh, yes, I think it's, it's enough to make the playoffs. No, I think Bill has built up enough will where, you know, he goes on in his own terms, uh, you know, with New England. Um, I, I per personally, I think they win the division. I think the Bills slip a little. I know everyone's on the Bills wagon, but, you know, we've all heard of that sophomore slump. And I think that, you know, and, and not that Josh Allen is in the second year, but that year after a team kind of breaks through, that second year, that kind of that sophomore year, they take some lumps. They're going to be good for the long haul, but I think the Patriots have a chance to sneak in and possibly win this division and maybe make Josh Allen look like, you know, the Josh Allen from 2019, not the guy that, that just tore up the league last year with nobody in the stands right yeah. <laughs> i love that so uh, so uh jim tell tell our listeners where they can find you if, if they ever want to read anything about you uh so you can follow me on twitter at globe jim mcbride i you know i will never clog your timeline with um silly stuff it's only patriots news or, or nfl news so uh you know you'll never see a picture of what i'll eat for dinner that day <laughs> I mean, you may have just lost a follower in me because that's really what I follow for. But I, Jim McBride, thank you so much for taking the time uh, and joining us today. It, it, it was great. It was great to finally connect with you. And so for Joe Malk and Craig D'Alessandro, I am Michael Marcangelo saying thank you so much for listening to Missing the Point. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electricast. Electricast.